I loves my intro. That is hello, so hello, hello, Yvonne and Chris. Glad to have you here. Let me just quick introduce for the folks uh, who are listening in or watching live or after the fact. What's going on here? This is the Friday afternoon nap time show where I stream live to all of your favorite platforms, including LinkedIn, YouTube, the Facebooks, and several other destinations. Uh, the show is live and unedited, and the baby is now napping, which means it is time for us to have a chat. Today, I have two amazing people that I wish I could like group hug right now, like a legit real group hug. <laughs> We've never actually done that in person. Uh, Yvonne, you and I have hugged in person. Chris, yeah. we never have. So I think it's imperative that at some point we make that happen. Um, well, I, I think I think you need to clarify that you and I have never met in person. Not actually it's not in that, person. Right it's, not, it's, not, it's not that <laughs> you and I have met in person and didn't hug. It's that we haven't. I mean, I feel like that's person. implied from those that know me that had we actually <laughs> met in person, there would be. I'm a hugger. COVID aside, that was the hardest part for me about COVID. I'm like such a hugger. So I'd see people. I was like, eh, don't know what to do there. <laughs> Um, so today I have the two of you, Yvonne Alston and Chris Lynn, and we're going to be talking about bias. Uh, Yvonne, you reached out to me and brought up this idea and I am like super into talking about it. Um, so why don't you kind of introduce for us the, the, the topic of the day, what prompted us to want to talk about this? Cause I've been, I've been wanting both of you to come on the show for a while. And Chris, you've been on the show. Uh, but Yvonne, I love talking to you and I've wanted you to join me on LinkedIn Live. So uh, you you came up with an idea when I said, I want you on LinkedIn Live with me on the, the afternoon nap time show. And you said, could we talk about this? So introduce mm -hmm. it for us. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Chris Lynn, you are my business partner in crime, my friend. Jeff, you are my friend. And so, yes, this for me is like the trifecta right here, right? Like, yeah, yeah, this is my happy place. So glad to be having this conversation. So the genesis of it, um, I am in the midst of reading Adam Grant's Think Again. And obviously, as a DEIB practitioner, I'm familiar with different types of bias. And there was a new bias introduced in the text that literally was like, I was like, wait, how have I not heard about this before? And furthermore, let me dig into this more to understand how this shows up and the impacts of it. So um, I'm going to prime our conversation with just a little bit of information. Um, the topic is confirmation bias versus desirability bias. So confirmation bias, just for those of you who may not know what it is, is really like our natural tendency that seeks out information that confirms something that we already believe, right? Because we're so much more prone to discounting something that would lead to doubt and amplifying something that would lead to certainty than we are about embracing like unadulterated objectivity, for example, right? So confirmation bias says, hey, I believe something and I'm going out and I'm seeking information and experiences that confirm that bias. So this is like when we go to Google and we type in something where we're find we are actively searching for something that supports a pre-existing opinion or belief that we already have rather than seeking out something that may challenge that viewpoint. Correct. 
correct, right? Because this is what we inherently believe to be true. And so we're going out for validation of that. Nothing that necessarily challenges it or changes our minds, but something that absolutely validates it, right? And we see this quite a bit in different play out in different ways in society. Uh, whether that we go, we have a certain feeling about, let's just say a particular identity, and we go out and we seek media consumption that affirms what we already believe. And as, you know, with Chris and I and the work that we do with clients at Indelible Impressions, we see this all the time. Now, desirability bias was interesting to me. So desirability bias is a bias toward a belief that we want to be true, something that we want to be true. So with confirmation bias- Can I ask right, you a question we, real quick about sure. that? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 please. I feel like there's an overlap between those two, like an yes. immediate overlap between those. Like I'm going out to confirm what I already believe, but I have a desire for that thing to be true. Yes, but it also it actually happens in reverse, right? So not I have this belief and I'm going out and seeking confirmation of it, but more so of now I have a desire for this thing to be true. I don't know that it's true yet, but I have a desire for it to be true. So I'm literally updating my belief system because I want this to be true. And then I'm going into confirmation bias to get everything that I need to validate that is true. So confirmation bias is about a belief system already held that you're going out and seeking confirmation of versus desirability bias says, I want this to be true. Think about, for example, and here's a prime example of it. Um, disinformation, mm -hmm. misinformation, right? We want certain uh, segments of our society want something to be true, right? I have a desire for this thing to be true. Even though there's plenty of evidence over here that says that it's not, I have such a desire for this thing to be true that I want to go out and now confirm it through confirmation bias. So again, one is a pre-existing condition, if you will. And the other one is about, I want this thing to be true. So I'm going to go out and seek things out, or I'm going to do things to ensure that other people believe it's true as well. So let's play that out. Yeah. What would that, right? Like, so what would that look like? Chris, give me an example of that. Like, what would that look like if there's something that, and especially in our space, right? When people want something to be true because it makes them feel better, validate something in them. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually use something that is maybe not as uh, politically charged because I was actually mm. having this conversation uh, with someone the other day around executive leaders in their companies mm. and how they... I'm about to write a post on this actually about how they tend to be the most emotional group of people that we know, even though they claim that they are not emotional, that they don't mm. bring emotion into the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason I'm using this example is because when you talk about desirability bias, they will go out and cherry pick data to back up their beliefs around how they should operate their businesses or how they should 
move forward. A great example of this actually is Elon Musk, when he took over Twitter, and this is a constant uh, discussion, Jeff, right, that we bring up on this show, is Elon Musk coming in and saying, productivity, productivity, productivity. You have to be a thousand percent productive. If you're not, if you're one iota below that, you are getting fired. Mm. Suddenly you saw everything, everyone come out of the woodwork, all of the CEOs who said, yes, that is how we want our companies run. And you're seeing it today where Meta, Facebook, Google, all of the fang companies have now started saying, you are not productive. That is means for termination. That will help us cut costs. And that will that justifies our mm. belief because we believe in 100% productivity, no emotions, but all they're doing is validating their own emotions and making it to be true. For me, as, as the openly anti-capitalist person on this show, um, I would say that you could expand that out and look at the entirety of the system that we're within, whether you're looking at capitalism or white supremacy, patriarchy, whatever, the whole system is designed where what I was thinking as you were going through it, uh, Yvonne, where you were talking about kind of the order of operations, what my mm. mind got kind of hung up on was, does every confirmation bias require a desirability bias to precede it? Or are there several different types of confirmation biases, ones that come after a desirability bias and ones that are inherited biases that we, you know, we, we are, we are raised indoctrinated through the, the, the circumstances that we were born into and that we were raised within and we yes. internalize certain messages. So we yes. then have confirmation biases, but at some point, if you track it all the way back, did yes. that begin with a desirability bias? Yes. And here's where I won't say, and I will use a, but intentionally when you're children, right. You don't necessarily have the cognitive at ability, right, to discern, like, I want this thing to be true, but the parents do, right? So yeah. if the parents want it to be true, even though it flies in the face of evidence to the contrary, I have such a desire for this thing that I'm going to move forward and I'm going to create an environment or an atmosphere that can validate that, right, in some way, even if I have to push forward a false narrative, even if I'm going to use misinformation or I'm going to take information and I'm going to use it nefariously to build my case, right? Perhaps I used to think this other thing, but now I want to think this way. I want to feel this way, right? So I'm going to create a world in which that becomes my truth. And then after that, I'm going to go out and I'm going to seek everything that confirms that. So to your point, Jeff, yes, it does go back with a genesis of desirability bias sometimes. But I think in the example you mentioned, it's the parent that started with the desirability bias, yeah. right? And yet the kids are kind of engrafted into that. They don't have a choice. Yeah. Their desire is pointless, right? Or, or not factored into it. They don't even know that they have a desire. They just know that they've grown up being fed these messages, some levels perhaps of indoctrination or whatever it is. And that's how they move forward. And they understand that that's what their world is to be. And so they see confirmation of that because that's how I grew up and believed to be true. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's a different level of intent. 
and we can see where, and I, I've been trying to really stay out of politicizing this because I yeah. think that that's just an easy place to go. Um, can I give an example? Cause I, sure, what, what sure, occurred to yeah. me as you were saying about like, you know, the parents and, and I was thinking going back generations, but if you actually just stay within one house, I was thinking mm. it's sort of like desirability bias by proxy. And it, and as an example, and I'm going to go the least political version here, as I just dropped a bomb before about, you know, being anti-capitalist, but, um, <laughs> I, I really want my daughter to play piano. I want my yeah. kids to play piano because I never played an instrument. And for me, I think the desirability bias in my head is that it is good to play an instrument and that to have uh, an education in music, to have a, a a foundation in music helps you with, you know, helps you with counting and math. Uh, I heard someone once say that like music is um, basically like the sound of math, which I thought was like mm. such an interesting way of explaining it. it but but again, like in the brain. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I have a bias towards, I want my daughter. So if we, have a piano, which we do, and we yeah. encourage her to play it. That's yeah. us enforcing our desirability bias on her to yes. where at some point in the future, she may develop a confirmation bias that she should learn piano, that getting piano is good. And that if you're good at piano, that's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Right. Because you're not saying that musical instruments overall, right. Do this. You're being very specific yeah. and saying it's piano. Right. And so you are, you have that desirability bias. That it's specifically piano and piano can do this for you and piano can do that for you. Right. And so you have that bias towards that particular instrument and she's going to grow up thinking, well, piano is the whole game, right? Violin doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Right. All that matters is piano. So now let's think about how that can negatively impact our world when people, and, and we see it all the time, right? Desirability bias is actually part of what has backed the proliferation of deep fakes. When we think about in society, and again, this is not political, right? But it's just a matter of somebody had a desire for something to be true and thereby creating something, right, that can move forward particular messages, particular uh, ideologies, whatever that is, right, in order to make that thing be true. Now, you can have plenty of other evidence around you that like, no, that's not true. We've got data to support this, to support that, right? But in this case, it's like, nope. They are creating something. They are creating a world specifically with the intent to make this a reality versus like I'm coming into it and I already have a belief system and I'm just going out and confirming it. It's a changing of the guard. It's a changing of the mind. And it's very intentional. So question for both of you, because you're both in the DEIB space. You yes. go through, you put a lot of content out there about this. You think a lot about this. So you're in this world and yes. you're often dealing with ideas that can be destruct destructive or harmful uh, or can create uh, spaces. And because you do this professionally, you're, you're mostly talking about it at work, but we can, ex we can expand it to society and to say that, you know, you're dealing in ideas that can sometimes create a lack of safety for people. Okay. So that's the foundation. So here's yes. the question. We're, we've been talking about confirmation bias and desirability bias, and, and a lot of the framing of it, if we look into it, is kind of like, well, this is a negative thing. But I guess my question is, do you see that there's sometimes potentially clearly drawn lines where it's actually fine to have 
desirability bias towards certain things. Like we talk about equity, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would be an important thing for to have equity and justice and belonging. Now there, you may have different biases about what those words mean, but if we take it in, you know, the, the, the purest sense of the word, the purest of, of the idea, is sure. it necessarily a bad thing to have a desirability bias around a potentially very positive idea and then to seek out confirmation that advances that if it's going to make a, a net positive impact on society? I, I think initially it sounds good, right? Initially it does. It's like, oh yeah, well, you're doing something good, yet everyone thinks that they're doing something good. Right. No one sees them. What, what's the saying? No one sees themselves as the bad guy or, yeah, or as Thanos evil, thought right? he was doing right. a great job to make sure resources were available. Right. So <laughs> um, I think the the uh, the fallacy to that is that you by allowing yourself to fall into a quote unquote, well, this is a good bias to have you automatically, like these are cognitive biases, right? So that means you're filtering out and ignoring anything that is contrary to your belief. Right. And so not just just from an individual uh, sense, you are not allowing yourself and your mind to grow, to work around those other beliefs. You end up staying in your lane and not being able to shift not being able to take in more information because you are so set on what you believe in and what your whatever your biases are and shaping the world around that to fit that bias, right? So, can I ask you a clarifying question about yeah, that? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. are are you are you then are you then saying that it actually makes you less effective at pursuing your objective of this good thing because you're filtering out things that you may need to understand in order to be more effective towards that yes. end. Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. Just making sure because yeah. I, there there's always that whole conversation of like should you punch Nazis, right? Like that's that's like the the <laughs> that's like the the meme headline for the conversation of like are there certain ideas that yeah that you are sort of allowed to be intolerant of. It's the whole, what is that intolerant paradox? Like it's not intolerant to be intolerant of intolerance, like that thing. Yes. So, so there's like the question of, um, is there a line at which you should close yourself off to certain ideas or is mm. there a line at which you can remain open to hearing it, but only in service of maybe changing those ideas? Like do you, I guess the thing is, do you have to be open <laughs> this is an age old question we keep debating, but yeah. like, do you have to be open to everyone's opinions and ideas about things in order to be, do we need to be unbiased? I guess. So Yvonne, <laughs> and, Yvonne and I were literally just having this conversation. I was yesterday. just going to say that that right? was the subject matter last night, right? Yeah. We talk about polarization. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, ultimately, right. Is there are people out there who do not believe that you should allow those messages to come through, to allow Mm -hmm. them, to tolerate them at all. Yvonne and I both hold the belief that we need to acknowledge them and listen to what Mm -hmm. those people are saying because at some point, someone is going to come up to you and question you on those things. And if you do not, if you have not already allowed yourself to open your mind up to those ideas, you will be caught off guard and will not know how to address those things. So by allowing other perspectives and acknowledging them and learning about those and learning 
where your own gaps are in your methodology, you are strengthening your own cause and your own work. So by understanding what biases you have, especially confirmation and, and desirability biases you may have, it allows you to counteract them to build yourself to be stronger, to make your messaging stronger, to make your product service, whatever it is you're doing to be that much better because now you've been able to account for those different viewpoints and you can say, hey, you bring up this argument against what I'm saying. I now can tell you why what you're saying is not true or why you need to shift yes. your thinking or reframe or whatever it is and why what I'm doing is actually helping you or benefiting you. Yes, yes, and yes, right? Like I've gotten the question sometimes of, you know, the the radical empathy and compassion that Chris and I do this work in through indelible impressions and everybody on the team, right? There are some people who believe that like, calibrating our walk to walk alongside people who are resistant to change, people who are resistant to DEIB for myriad of reasons, right? To like not go after those people, like focus on the people who desire change, who want change, like who are going to be your change advocates, right? Like that's where you go. My thing is always like, number one, I have the mindset of going after the one lost sheep always, right? That's who I am. That's how I am built. My heart state, my mind state, every part of my being, right? Finds that critical and important. But also if I, the naysayers to this, if we don't know how they think and how we feel to Chris's point, we don't have a, a, a framework in which to address those things when they're challenged, right? I want to be able to know for, let's just say, for example, the arch enemies of DEIB. Oh, I'm sitting at that table. Oh, yes, I'm entertaining that conversation. I want to understand why you think and feel the way that you do so that I can figure out what is the antidote to that. That's my job. That's my mission. Yes, is it uncomfortable? Heck yeah. Do I want to sit there? I, I'll give you an example. I was literally at a client's um, workplace doing uh, a series of workshops. And one of the individuals had Nazi tattoos and all this stuff and was literally like, people were talking about this person is a skinhead. And the individual came up to me at the end of a session. <laughs> Jeff, your face is everything. I'm, I'm I'm locked in on this, but I'm like, wow. I've never seen your eyes bigger, but yeah, yeah, yeah. for real. I have a gift for this somewhere. Like I am, I am so this really <laughs> on edge with what's happening here. Uh, but everything. go ahead. So this person comes up to me at the end and says, "I want to talk to you about some things you said," and I was just kind of like. Okay. I'm like, well, I don't have my next session until this point. Like I've got some office hours. Sure. And I didn't know what that was going to be full, full transparency. I was a little nervous. Right. And so I'm like, okay, what is this going to be? But what happens? I could either say no, no way. Like you clearly, right. In some form or framework, right? Believe some things that are absolutely in my book, abhorrent, don't warrant a conversation, whatever, right? 
But I felt compelled to talk to him because I was like, if nothing else, I will learn and understand where his ideology is at. And then I can go and do my homework to figure out how do I provide evidence and data to refute what he's saying? I want to go back to him with facts and not an opinion. Mm-hmm. In the conversation, though, totally blew my mind or wig off, as as some people say, right? Like he sat there and one could say desirability to challenge what he already believed to shift. So maybe in a sense, Jeff, what you were saying earlier about a positive implication, right? There was a desire because he was no longer a skinhead, even though he had all the markings of it, right? He saw harm in that, didn't want to think like that anymore, didn't want to feel like that anymore, was really pissed off that he was still presenting as supporting that, right? And there wasn't much he felt like he could do about it. He was already bought in on all the tats, right? So he actually wanted to understand and learn why DEI is important, how he can show up in support of it, despite how he physically looked. Like he totally blew my mind. He did say some things that were aligned with the former ideology. And he's like, this is what I was indoctrinated to believe. I need the evidence to refute that so I can think and be different. And hopefully I can be seen differently and engage with people in a way that they're not just judging me because of this, but they come to understand that this was a choice I had made at one point in time in life, but this is not who I am now. I got to tell you that that story did not go where I thought it was going to go. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you thought he was going to come in and like, you know, maybe jack me up in the private office and be like, do you know what me and my people do to people like you? Yeah. Uh, But but I think think the fact that he approached you was probably a potentially good sign. I guess it all depends on the posture of it. But what what occurred to me through both what you just uh, shared and, and Chris, kind of what you just said is that I think really one of the critical factors is whether or not this is someone who's coming to you in good faith. So if uh, if you are a rock solid closed mind and you will not even like there, there's um, there's there's a certain like narrative about like the marketplace of ideas and there's a certain idea that mm-hmm. if you are you can't almost help your mind from believing something if you're presented with enough evidence and support for it that like you almost can't help right but. We know that in some cases that's not true, that despite all evidence to the contrary, despite anything that you could show someone that they're still going to come back and say, well, if they're only 13% of the population, why do they, like, it doesn't matter. It's going to keep perpetuating itself. Yes. Even if it's been demonstrably false and contextualized in every which way, if you're not open to hearing it, you're not open to hear it. So I think to the, to the extent that we're talking about I also just want to say, I appreciate the hell out of the two of you that you continue to like sit in that discomfort and go into those conversations and commit to being, because I'm just not that dude, which is why I don't do that work. Because I would, I would just be like, nah, I don't got to talk to you, dude. So I just appreciate that you're both like willing to sit in that. Uh, Cause that's, that's some thing that that's a thing. It's interesting too, because that same employer and Chris knows the story, that same employer, there was someone who refused now to come to the DEIB training, right? And this person, I was like, I want to get a hold of this person. I want to understand why. 
person walked up to me. He was a white male. And he said, I'm not going to your mother F and D E I B training. And I looked and said, hi, I'm Yvonne Alston from Indelible Impressions. And I really want to talk to you about that. And he's like, I already told you, I told them they could fire me. They could whatever. I'm not going to your mother F and D E I B training. And I had to focus that individual. And I said, okay, so here's the deal. And he's like, lady. And I was like, mm, not lady, Yvonne, that's my name. So let's make sure we have some foundational respect going on between us. And I said, but I'm curious as to why not. I'm curious as to why you have this visceral reaction because you haven't been in any of the sessions thus far. So you don't even know what I've said yet. You don't even know my posture or position on this. And yet you are vehemently against this, right? So help me to understand what's that about. Like I genuinely want to understand and learn. And he, you know, it took him a while to temper him down. It was a hot heat of the day. Chris, you know, knows the story. Like my makeup is melting and I'm just like, oh my God. And is this person gonna just like flip out on me physically in some way? But I was willing to stay in it with him. I was willing to stay in it with him. And it turned out after 40 minutes of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, we were able to find little glints, little tiny things in there where we had some things in common. We had some perspectives in common. And I was shocked by that. I think he was genuinely shocked by that. And before we broke away and I said, you know, here's the information. This is the last session. You know what's on the line if you don't attend this. I told you I'm not going to your mother F and DEI. I was like, okay. I was like, that's fine. If I do not see you again, I wish you well. I truly mean that. I do. I wish you well. And I thought like, that's it, right? So I subjected myself to that. And I remember somebody who I really respect in DEI saying to me, that person would have gotten out one mother effort and it would have been a wrap. I would have walked right to the CEO and I would say, mm, nope, like not tolerating that. You want to fire this person? Go ahead, have at it, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stay in that with them. I'm not gonna engage in that, right? The one lost sheep concept was what prevailed in me. I will tell you that just as I was closing the door, that person came into the started to come into the room, boot in the door, just like a movie. And I cracked over the door. I looked at him. I said, okay, so here's the deal. You come in here. You cannot be disruptive. This is not the you show. If you don't have anything good to say that contributes to the conversation in a meaningful way, in a good way, don't say anything at all. Are we cool? And he was like, yeah, all right, there's one chair left. Look at here who we have. Oh, we've got one more member today. Isn't that fantastic? And I welcomed him in and he sat down and he did not disrupt the session at all. Seriously, that's seriously not how y'all do it. So, I mean, so this is, this is why, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are in our space. Like this is why human connection is so critical, mm -hmm. right? This is why human connection is so important to combating confirmation bias, desirability bias. And there's a lot of people in our space that will not tolerate that. 
And I'll still point back to uh, Mr. Daryl Davis, the black man who convert who converts KKK members, right? Like you can't, right? You have like a closet full of the robes. Yeah, like you can't, (laughs) like if you want to talk about dismantling the system, you can't just like build your own thing and then like expect to like go up against it, right? Like that's not how change come. Like now you got to go in their backyard. Yeah, like change management theory doesn't allow for that, right? Like if you if you build up a stronger if you push harder, they're just going to push back equally hard as hard. Mm-hmm. You have to go and like find ways to like decrease their resistance is, is the theory. And so yeah. again, same thing is you have to like go in and build these connections. You have to show them that have conversations with these people to understand like, Hey, like what you have been fed, what you've, what you're constantly surrounding yourself with is untrue or is harmful or is whatever it may be. And uh, that's, again, that's how we can, we can build that desirability. But unfortunately, we're in a world where consumption of information is so quick and the systems that we use, the Facebooks, the TikToks, the Instagrams, the algorithms, unfortunately, are so quick to pick up on your habits mm. that they confirm everything you believe. Yes. Yeah. And it 100%. can send you down into a rabbit hole. Social media yes. basically is a confirmation bias. Yes. It really yeah. is. Yeah. If I go to DSW, if I go onto DSW's website, my husband and I joke about this sometimes, right? Like I go onto DSW's website, not through social, but I go onto the website and I look at a particular pair of shoes. All of a sudden in my feed on social media, I'm seeing espadrilles left and right. Yep. They're after like, you. I... My feed's full of superhero stuff and sneakers. Exactly. Exactly. But think about that with even just what if someone's curious? What if someone's just curious about something that is harmful, right? And they go on and they look at one thing, like maybe it's a kid Maybe it's they're curious about guns. They want to know what it looks like for someone to be shot. This is a horrible example, but it happens every day, right? All of a sudden now, in that kid's feed are going to be more and more and more of that content, right? So thereby, right, actually impacting how that person thinks and feels about gun violence. Yep. I'll get, I'll give you a funny one. Uh, and then I'm going to, I'm going to wrap our episode because we're, we're at about it. I could talk to you guys for the next like two hours, but uh, I tried to make this show a half an hour. Um, and obviously you're both always welcome back, but I'll give you an example that I think is really funny regarding social media algorithms and confirmation bias. If you ever encounter a middle-aged man who believes that TikTok is all just teenage girls dancing, that tells you more about that person than it does about TikTok because you have to keep engaging with that stuff to keep getting that stuff. So if you don't want to see that, find other things to engage with. That algorithm, the TikTok algorithm is breathtakingly insightful into what it is you want to see. My entire TikTok is locked in and dialed into the five things that I want to see at all times. uh, And that I'm interested in that confirmation bias is as strong as anything that I use anywhere. Um, I will say just as a a note to wrap on that, what one of the things that I've gotten um, from this interview, from this chat we've had here is one, I now have, I, I now have a desirability bias 
uh, to have the kind of resilience to sit in those conversations that you do. And I have the confirmation bias of knowing both of you and seeing how it works for you and everything that will uh, continually encourage me to be uh, more open-minded and um, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Um, less, right. I don't know about that. I just like, maybe I'll just think less about punching Nazis. So I'll just be, I'll tone it down a bit. I'll just lean into the desirability bias of being more like Yvonne and Chris. Um, so thank you both for coming out to the show and Yvonne, thank you so much for bringing up this topic. I thought it was such an interesting idea and yeah. I had no idea what to expect from this conversation, but we had zero agenda here except Let's introduce it and talk about it. And I just really enjoyed this conversation. We got kind of philosophical. We went down a bunch of different uh, roads. Um, you know, there's so many more things that we could talk about. We didn't even get into talking about examples like Andrew Tate or any of the other uh, YouTubers and TikTok influencers and Instagram influencers and all that. Um, we talked about a little bit about work. We didn't necessarily get to, you know, uh, broadening into society that we touched on it, but I thought this conversation was so interesting. Um, so thank you again, both of you for coming on. Um, one thing I like to do before I wrap it up is I want to give you both an opportunity to tell people where they can go and find you, where they can learn more about you, uh, where they can have their own little conversation with you about any of these topics or anything else. Uh, so, uh, Yvonne, start with you. Uh, where can people go and learn more about you? Well, we have our website, uh, indelibleimpressions.com. There's some information there about the work that we do, why we do the work that we do. There's a great video of Chris and I on the homepage where we're talking about our approach to DEIB and why it's so important. Um, and there's additional information about our service and offerings there. We are always on LinkedIn, having certain conversations, putting questions into the atmosphere to make people think, reflect, and hopefully act in positive ways that increases our ability to be a more equitable and inclusive society. So that's it for me. What, what do you have, Chris? Add to it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say connect with us on LinkedIn. Find Yvonne and myself on LinkedIn. We're quite active. Uh, we're always looking to right make that indelible impression on others. So uh, we hope we've done that here. And we look forward to having conversations with y'all. I'm like busy trying to get your website up so I can put it on the screen for everyone. Hold on. I'm just going to put up your LinkedIn um, for like the company real quick. Okay. I was cool. having, I was having a spelling issue because I'm not great. <laughs> yeah. Like, indelible. Two L's, one L. Uh, yes. So that, that's the, that's the LinkedIn. You can find yes. uh, Yvonne and Chris there. Uh, both of them are on LinkedIn. Both are awesome to follow on LinkedIn. I've been exposed to so many incredible people through the things that both of you comment on, you share and you like. So I am like really grateful for that. Um, and then, oh, thank you, Chris. I'm going to put that up on the screen as well. Uh, so the website uh, is right here. Do, 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 do. Thank you, Chris. Uh, indelible Impressions. There you can find them on the web. Uh, Indelible-Consulting. And uh, yeah, go check them out. They're both amazing. I love you two people. Um, thank you for coming on. Do this again with me. Oh, and uh, just to close it out for all of the peoples, which is uh, thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to us have a conversation. I thought that was really cool of you to do that, whether you did it live or whether you listened in after the fact. Make sure to follow me also on LinkedIn. I'm really very cool. I don't 
I don't post as much cool stuff on LinkedIn as I should. I should do that. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to me on YouTube if you want to catch the show live, or you can do it on LinkedIn. Uh, or just subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, just look for the Friday afternoon nap time show, which is brought to you by my podcast network, shareable.fm, uh, which, Chris, I want to put your show on my network. I want to do that. I want to do that at some point. Where'd you go? I lost Chris. Oh. I want to put, I want to put you on my show um, or on my podcast network because your podcast leading people first or um, leading yes. people first, right? Yeah. we. Yeah. It's, it's coming yeah. back, which I'm really appreciative of, um, but it's a shareable show. So it needs to go on the shareable podcast network. Um, so to everybody else out there, thank you for all of your attention and or feedback. So if you leave comments uh, before or during, uh, really appreciate that. Um, and I'll see you next week when the baby falls asleep. <laughs> Take care. Bye.